Well, I want to give a special thanks to any of you that are here this morning for the first time. Um, give you a little tip off on something. About 28 years ago, we started this church. Really simple idea. It was a little fuzzy, but it was clear in this regard. The thought was this, that any place where the truth about God and the truth about life is being explained and declared ought to be the most exciting, the most enriching, the most meaningful place that a person can go to on a Sunday. And we set out to create that experience, and we've done our best to do so for the past 28 years. And I hope that if you're here visiting, you might, by the end of this day, feel like, you know what? There just may be something to that. So we welcome you in a, in a special way. And uh, for viewers online, I was told at a service in between, hey, say something to the people online. Because we, we used to have, I don't know, about 170, 180 people online that watch live. So um, thank you. Please feel like you can participate fully. Thank you for being with us when you can't be here in person. Well, we're in a series, the end of a series, and we do our messages for you to hear for the first time. We usually do about six messages in a row in a series, and uh, we're at the end of one called Little Big Things. It has nothing to do with my size. Uh, it's just, <laughs> just so happens. But uh, in, this, in this series, what we've said is that unfortunately, a lot of times, things that, because of our society the way it is, things that look really, really big and important are actually, in God's sight, in the eternal perspective, not really important. Reverse that, the things that are really small and seem inconsequential are very, very important in God's sight and in light of eternity. So that's been what we've stressed in this series. The other thing is this, is that sometimes if we miss these little things, if we don't do these little things, and they're very doable, they're just so ordinary that we miss them sometimes. We think they're inconsequential, that they, they are pitifully inadequate, ridiculously inadequate. But if we miss them, we don't develop sufficiently so that we can then grow to the place where we might be able to do some things that even we would recognize as bigger things. So that's been the premise of the six messages. Now today, we end with uh, a really kind of a funny thought, and it's this. Would you give your lunch away? That's the little thing that we'll look at today. Now, first service I asked this, and I, I would be terribly amiss if I didn't do the same with you. I'm just guessing that some of you are easy breezy, share everything that you eat with other people type of eaters. You know, maybe you grew up in a family where, oh, you try some of mine, I'll try some of yours. You're the type that when you go out to a restaurant, you say, oh, here, let me give you some of mine. Can I have some? Can I have a bite of that? So maybe... <laughs> Maybe you're one of these easy breezy, easy breezy eaters that just share everything. Can I just kind of see your hands? That's me. That, okay. And then there are some of you. <laughs> like me. <laughs> you may be ever so generous in every other area of your life. But when it comes to food, you want to eat what's in front of you. You don't want to share it. You don't want to give it. You don't want to, you know, I don't want yours. I don't want you to want mine. Own it. Just live it. Own it up. How many? You're there. You're in the club. Yes. We're very generous in every other area. Just don't mess with our food. <laughs> I mean, even popcorn, man. Like, when I make a bag of popcorn, I want the whole bag. I want every kernel, right down to the hard ones that almost break your teeth. My wife, my wife, well, can I have some popcorn? And being the godly person that I am, of course, I give her the popcorn. But there's this voice in my head. There's this voice in my head. There's a girl, what's wrong with you? Why don't you go get your own bag? <laughs> it's from Southeast Washington. It never goes away completely. 
So trying to get rid of this bad habit of not wanting to share food, uh, I have three dogs, and one dog happens to really like popcorn. And so I started making efforts to share my popcorn with this dog, but, but the dog is relentless and aggressive, and the more it gets, the more it wants. Messes with my rhythm. You know, when you eat popcorn, you got to have kind of a rhythm. You, you, you don't, you don't want to get that messed up. And, and so it's gotten to be a problem, a real problem. Now, again, I know some of you have had some bad experiences with dogs, maybe you've been bitten, and so the, the, the picture of an aggressive dog can be a little traumatic. So if that's you, just... Turn your eyes away for a minute, but I'll, I'll show you this dog that I'm trying to cope with. <laughs> That's not doctor. She is the size of a bag of popcorn. She's uh, about 14 years old, and she's gained a little weight in her old age. She weighs four pounds now. <laughs> She was literally under three pounds most of her life. That's, that's Pippa. Pippa, the ravenous popcorn-eating dog. A very small popcorn-eating dog. <laughs> uh, what's her brand? You know, you froze my mind. If I think of it, though, I'll break in the middle of the message and tell you. Maltese. Maltese, it came to me. Yeah. Well, thank you. Would you like one? <laughs> Now, I could never part with Pippa after all these years. So, you're probably wondering, what in the world has this got to do with anything? Well, we're going to look at a portion of Scripture where a kid, a kid gives his lunch away. Actually, gives it away to Jesus. And had I been there and been the kid, it wouldn't have been in the Bible. I would have took my lunch. No way, man. I packed my lunch. Why didn't you pack yours? Yeah. So fortunately, this kid was of a better spirit when it came to sharing food than what I was. So let's go ahead and turn to the text now, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. That'll be page 1204, 1204 in those Bibles near you on the chair. John chapter 6, we'll read about 13 verses, and then we'll kind of make some application. Would you give your lunch away? John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing on the sick. So Jesus went on the mountainside and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Jewish feast of Passover was near. Then Jesus, when he looked up and he saw that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where can we buy bread so that these people may eat? Now Jesus said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, 200 silver coins worth of bread would not be enough for them, for each one to get a little. One of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Here's a boy, here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. Think in terms of two like sardines and five flat pieces of pita bread. But what good are these for so many people? Again, the resource that they had to meet the need of the people looked ridiculous. Uh, it looked completely inadequate. You'll see why in verse 10. 
Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was a lot of grass in this place. So the men sat down about how many men? 5,000. Do you suppose there were some women and kids that might have tagged along too? Very likely. So 5,000 men, it could have easily been 15,000 people in total. Verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the bread to those who were seated. He then did the same with the fish as much as they wanted. When they were all, what's the word? Satisfied. Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the broken pieces that are left over so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered them up and filled how many baskets? How many disciples? Twelve. They start out with nothing, just a kid's lunch. They end up with 12 baskets full. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves left over by the people who had eaten. So there it is. It's a simple story. Let me put it in a little context for you. Jesus, God in flesh, the creator of the universe, came to the planet of his own making and for three and a half years demonstrated that he was none other than the creator. And he did this. He gave this comprehensive revelation of God so that my fear, my suspicion of God and your fear and your suspicion of God might be forever shattered. Because human beings, we have this notion inside of us somewhere that if I let God get involved in my life and if I start listening to him and doing things the way he wants me to do them, it's going to require me to stop doing some things that I like doing and start doing some things that I don't like doing. And he doesn't really understand what my needs are. He doesn't really care about my happiness. And he's going to mess my life all up. We are suspicious of God and we have a hard time trusting him. And Jesus came to remove all the doubts. He came to show that God is the greatest lover of our soul and is more concerned, you got to get this, is more concerned for our highest happiness and well-being than anyone in the universe. And he took it to the point of not just revealing through his miracles. In this case, he showed that world hunger could be easily taken away once he and his kingdom is welcomed on earth. And all of his miracles showed that the problems that humanity cannot escape from, whether it's disease, whether it's death itself, whether it's hunger, whether it's weather cat catastrophes, he showed that he is more than adequate to save us from these. But he only wants us if we want him. And so he came to prove that we can trust him, that he's safe. And he went to the extent of going to the cross, allowed people to crucify him. He allowed himself to experience death. He is the creator of life. He experienced death to let you know, to let me know, you really can trust me. Nobody loves you like I do. Nobody knows what's best for you except me, your creator. Nobody wants what's best for you as much as I do. Will you Return to me, will you trust me? So all of that was squeezed together in a three and a half year period. Jesus gave this comprehensive revelation of God to win back the trust of humanity. When you come to this portion of scripture, we just read, even though it's in John chapter 6, it's the start of the third year, which is the last, part, pretty close to the last part of Jesus' ministry. He ministered about three and a half years. So one of the main things that Jesus was doing for those three and a half years 
was trying to prepare a group of people, we call them the apostles, he was trying to prepare them to take this revelation, the truth about God and the truth about life, they were to take it and they were going to continue passing it down generation after generation, preserving it and passing it down right down to us. Now to these ordinary men, you have to understand, these apostles, they were not super guys, they were not super intellectuals, they were not the best and the brightest, they were very ordinary, broken, yes, sinful human beings just like me and just like you. Jesus was showing that once he gives this comprehensive revelation of the full, loving, sacrificial goodness of God, that any broken human being is going to be more than adequate. Jesus feeds about 15,000 people with this totally ridiculous, inadequate amount of food. Why did he want to show this? Because he's trying to train his disciples. They're going to face overwhelming odds as they seek to persuade people to return to their creator in trust. They're going to feel overwhelmed. They're going to feel inadequate in meeting the needs of thousands of people as their lives will go on. And Jesus is trying to train them now that as long as you give what you have, no matter how little it is, you give it to me to use for the needs of other people, Jesus will multiply it. We can trust him for that. So that's kind of the, the, the core of this whole thing. Now to make some application for ourselves today, let's ask a question to start with. What wonderful thing might Christ want to do through you? And this might be the first time you've ever thought about yourself or your life in this way. You may think, well, Christ, I suppose, does wonderful things through the lives of some people. They're, they're kind of special. They're kind of different. But I'm just kind of ordinary. And I, and I doubt that God has from all eternity intended to do something wonderful through me. And you might take it further. You might say, and particularly through me, Randy, because if you knew me, if you knew what a mess my life has been, if you've known some of the things I've done, some of the things I've been involved in, if you knew the struggles that I'm having right now, if you knew the shame and the guilt that I struggle with every day, you wouldn't even consider that God would want to do something wonderful through me because all I can do is just put one foot in front of another day to day. It's, it's hard to just... It's hard to just get out, out of bed and be me. But I want you to think about this because this is the truth. This is the really good news. That the creator of the universe created beings in his own image. It was the greatest loving gift that he could give. He created beings that can experience life the way the creator himself does. You have the capacity to enjoy life the way God himself does. You are made in his image, in his likeness. You have a tremendous capacity to be a loving giver and a blessing to everyone you meet. It might not be alive in you yet. It might be dormant. But once you return to Christ your creator in trust and start following him fully and freely and forever, you will change. I'm living evidence of that. Many others in here are living evidence of that. So all of that is packed in here. What wonderful thing. I want you to ask this person now. I want you to make it with your name in it. What wonderful thing might Christ want to do through you? Now don't think in terms of big thing. It might be a very little thing, but it's still a wonderful thing because it's got eternal ramifications.
Listen to the way Jesus tried to get his disciples early on thinking about the fact that they were going to do things that were going to have eternal impact. I don't know if you ever thought it's not. You know, we, we think of miracles as a big thing. You know, like somebody's got a disease and Jesus lays a hand on them and the disease goes away. They're, they have blind eyes and he allows them to see. But wouldn't you agree that all the people that were recipients of his miracles, wouldn't you agree they all died? Because that's true. They did. So even though the miracle was an amazing thing to behold, it didn't necessarily have lasting, enduring impact. It didn't necessarily change their character. It didn't necessarily change their relationships. It didn't necessarily change their life. It didn't necessarily change their eternal destiny. So Jesus is going to entrust to these disciples and entrust to us ever since that are his followers this enormous work that we are woefully inadequate to do on our own. So he started trying to prepare those disciples early on. Listen to these verses. This is from Luke 5. This is after Peter, who was a professional fisherman, had been fishing all night long. He didn't catch anything. He's tired. He's cleaning his nets. Jesus says, you know, launch back out into the deep again, Peter, and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter's like, man, you got to be kidding me. But okay, I'll do it. And lo and behold, they catch so many fish, it's tearing their nets. It almost sinks their boats. Here's what goes on. For Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Now, the the story wasn't about how to catch fish. (laughs) It wasn't about get Captain Jesus on your boat to catch fish. (laughs) Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching what? People. Here's 15,000 people. Jesus says, anybody got some food to feed them? You guys feed them. They're like, we can't feed these people. Well, there's this kid. He's got some, you know, a few loaves and some fish. Give that to me. We'll feed all the people. You'll feed all the people. He's telling Peter, Peter, you're going to be a person, even though you feel woefully inadequate. You're going to be a person. You're going to tell others the truth about me, and you're going to tell others the truth about life. And you're going to bring people into a relationship with their creator once again. It's going to have everlasting impact on them, their character, their families, everybody they meet. You're going to be able to do this, Peter. You don't feel adequate for it, but you're going to do it. And we know that the apostles did that. And it goes right on down to today. So Jesus, in this little miracle of the feeding of 5,000 men, he's training these apostles that even though I'm giving you an overwhelming assignment, you're going to be competent to do it if you'll look to me with the resources that you have. Here's a couple others. This is the last night Jesus was alive with his disciples. He's preparing them for his departure. And he says, yes, indeed, I tell you that whoever, what? Trust in me, folks. That's the difference. That's the difference in becoming fully human and fully alive. That's the difference in having an eternal destiny that was always intended with God and holy angels forever in a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more sin, sorrow, sickness, and death. It's that right there. Each of us must ask ourselves this question, have I, I didn't ask you about you're part of a church or have you been baptized or anything, it's got nothing to do with anything. When you read the scriptures, it's very clear. God is trying to bring human beings back into a trusting relationship with himself. Have I, is what you need to ask yourself, have I truly put my trust in Jesus and because I trust him, I am choosing to follow him, which means I'm learning his will, his way, and his word, and I'm then living it out. I'm doing what he says. I want to follow Jesus freely. I want to follow him fully, and I'm going to follow him forever because I trust him. Have you trusted in Jesus, and has it resulted in you becoming his follower? That is the difference in one's eternal destiny. 
It's a difference in the kind of life you'll experience in this world too. Whoever trusts in me will also do the works I do. Now people think, oh, the miracles that Jesus did? No, no. Nobody's going to do the miracles Jesus did. Indeed, they, he will do greater ones. Jesus is saying greater than his miracles because I'm going to the Father. Meaning that after he was crucified, he ascended back to heaven and now empowers his followers on earth to carry out his will. What greater works can we do? Well, I just told you what it is. When you and I help to take what we have, put it in the hands of Jesus so that he can use it to meet the needs of others. It can affect a person's entire character, entire life, and yes, even their eternal destiny. That's what makes it greater. And so Jesus is trying to train his followers then and you and I now who are his followers. One last verse. This is from New Testament book of Ephesians. The apostle Paul writing to Christ followers who lived in the city of Ephesus. He says, now to him, here's Jesus, we're talking about him, who by the power that is working where? Where is this power working? Within us. His power, him, his power working within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. 15,000 people, they couldn't feed 15,000 people. But because of the power of Christ that was united with them, they were able to do it. You and I can do exceedingly more than we even imagine, not because of our adequacy, but because of his power that's in us. But that power has to be released ultimately. Now you might be asking, okay, so this kid, this kid gave his lunch away. Jesus multiplied it and all these people, 5,000 men, 15,000 people, maybe they all get fed. Uh, woefully inadequate resources, we get that part. So, so what does this look like? in my life or how might it look like I mean what what is my lunch what's in my lunch box so to speak by the way this is where the the first happy meal that was ever given uh, <laughs> there's a guy named Jim Papuza he's from um, Chicago Heights Illinois and he's a builder he's a construction guy and so he had a friend named Victor Rodriguez who worked for him and Victor Rodriguez lived in the Dominican Republic in kind of the higher elevations that are kind of scattered rural areas where they grow coffee. And Victor Rodriguez told him about, you know, their homes and all are not in the greatest of shape. So Jim Papuza goes to the Dominican Republic. He spends a month there. Now, the only thing he's got in his lunchbox, the only thing he can offer them is he knows how to fix things. He knows how to build. So he sees their houses need work. He does the work. He sees things need fixing that he can fix. He fixes them. He sees they have some sanitation problems. He's able to fix that. He sees they have some water problems, keeping pure water. He helps with that. So he spends a, a month there. He goes home. He couldn't speak a lick of Spanish. And he thought, well, that was a great experience. I want to go back again. So he takes a whole year, he studies Spanish, he's still woefully inadequate to speak it, but he goes back again, he does the same sort of things, he uses the skills that he had, not the skills that he didn't have, it was his lunch. And now he notices something, he notices that a lot of the people, and particularly the children, they don't have any, any shoes. So after his second trip, he goes back home, he tells the people in his church, he says, hey, I'm going to this place in the Dominican Republic, I'm helping them out with stuff that I can, but I notice they have shoes, what are you guys thinking? Plus, I want to take them Bibles, I want to take them Bibles in their own language, I want to take them little segments of scripture, just things they can read in their own language. So the people in the church fill him with resources, Bibles, little pieces of scripture, and 250 pairs of shoes. He goes back. 
Now he starts giving out the shoes. He starts giving out the Bibles. He's doing little work where he can. And he's wondering, is any of this mattering? He's getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, this kid comes running up to him and says two words to him that each and every one of us should desperately want to hear. The little kid is running up to him, doesn't know his name, and says, Christian, Christian, and wants Jim Papuzzo to come with him. Christian, that word means one with Christ. It means somebody that's so much like Jesus, I'm going to call you a little Christ. That's what the word Christian means. And we should each want that very badly. He goes back to this kid's house, and here's his whole family sitting on a porch, (laughs) and they want Jim to read them from these little Bibles, these Spanish Bibles, to them. They don't even seem to know how to approach it. So he is fumbling his way through trying to read it. Mind you, he barely speaks any Spanish. And this goes on, and they love it. Well, he walks out of there, and here's somebody else calling him. And it happens again and again. He's going from house to house to house. These people are eager to know the truth about God and the truth about life. But it all started when Jim took what was in his lunch. And what was in his lunchbox was the ability to just fix some things. I'm going to come back to that a little later in the message. But that's what it looks like for you and I. What wonderful thing might Christ want to do through you? Question number one. Question number two. What little thing might Christ want from you, from me, to do it? Because, again, Jesus says, what do you guys got? Now, did Jesus need this kid's lunch to feed these people? No, of course not. So what's the message here? The message is that God has always intended, he created human beings that we could know the joy of partnering with the creator in bringing blessing and doing good and filling the universe with his goodness. When we give things away, when we bless others, when we serve others, it brings the greatest joy that a human being can know. And so all of this is brought to play in this little message. So what little thing might Christ want from you in order to do the wonderful thing that he wants to do through you. There's a verse in the New Testament book of Romans gives us the right attitude to approach this. Paul, writing to followers of Christ in Rome, it says, So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as what? Living sacrifice. God, you've got me. Whatever you want me to say, whatever you want me to do, whatever skill I have, whatever learning, you know, I'm here for you. I'll I'll." Go where you want me to go. Do what you want me to do. Dedicated to his what? Service and pleasing to him. This is what? True worship. True worship is giving my life to serve God and serve others the way he intends. And that's what true worship that you should offer. There's another I'd like to share with you. It's actually a few. Um, in the same book of Romans, it says, Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. We should be enthusiastic about it. Here's another. 1 Peter chapter 4.10, it says, God's gifts of grace come in many forms. Each of you has received a what? A gift. If you've put your trust in Christ, God gives you a gift that will allow you to express his life in some way. Each of you has received a gift in order to what? You got the gift for, to do what with it? Y'all with me? They're, they're with me. They get it. Y'all get it? You got the gift to do what? Serve others. Serve others. Jesus says, you feed them. And he takes the kids' little lunch. He's teaching a lesson. 
He's bringing us into the joy of partnering, being co-workers with God. You should use it faithfully. Here's another one from the book of Galatians. Paul writing to followers of Christ in Galatia. He says, hey, look, take advantage of every opportunity to be a what? A blessing to others. Do you think we get opportunities every day to be a blessing to others? How many think you might get at least one shot a day to be a blessing to others? All we got to do is seize that opportunity. Especially to our brothers and sisters in the family of faith. Look again. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and 8. It says, let everyone give we heard this earlier in the service. Let everyone give as his heart tells him, neither grudgingly or under compulsion. Who's got something? The kid says, here, take my lunch. Not grudgingly, not compulsive. He was not compelled. Neither grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves the man, the woman, the person who what? Gives cheerfully. Why does God love somebody who gives cheerfully? Why did he want them to learn to give? Why did he take that kid's lunch? Because God is the greatest giver in the universe, and when we give, we start experiencing life the way he does, the joy of giving, of being a blessing. This verse goes on. It says, after all, God can give you everything you, what does it say? Need. So that, he's going to give you everything you need, give me everything I need, so that, what am I supposed to do with it? So that... You may always have sufficient both for yourselves and for what? Giving away. So God's going to make sure I have everything I need. Not so that I can keep on adding. Not that I can have bigger, better, newer, nicer, bigger, better, newer, nicer. But he's given me sufficiency so that I always have a little something to give to somebody else. So these powerful verses are all reinforcing this picture that we have in this little miracle where Jesus feeds these 5,000 men, some women and children, maybe 15,000 total through the lunch of a little kid. Let me close with a story. There's um, a guy named Justin Borger, not to be confused with Justin Bieber. Uh, <laughs> and he wrote a book called God So Love. He gave. God So Love. He gave. Love always gives. It always does. And in the book, he tells the story of this lady named Tammy. Now, Tammy was homeless, and she was living under a bridge in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, they started helping Tammy, giving her, you know, money for, you know, items that she absolutely needed to survive. And then they kind of lost track of her for a couple of weeks. She never did attend their church, but they kept giving to her, trying to build a relationship with her. And then she reappears after two weeks, comes to Jim Borger at the church, only to tell him and the church that she had been sexually assaulted. I mean, she was living under a bridge. And so Jim Borger uh, takes her to the hospital. They, they, they give her the help the best they can. And from that point on, Tammy started attending their church regularly, and they started giving Tammy vouchers, vouchers for food and other items that she would need. But what happened was the whole process was breaking down. Fast as they'd give Tammy a voucher, Tammy would give it to somebody else that lived under the bridge with her. And so Jim Borgers had to sit her down and say, Tammy, wait, 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 you have to understand. We are giving this for you and your needs. And Borgers says Tammy looked at him like he had a third eye in his head. And said, but why can't I give some away? It, it was impossible for her to imagine having something that she could give to somebody else to be a blessing to them and, and not doing it. She's homeless. She's living under a bridge. She's just been sexually assaulted. And then Borger adds this. I found myself taken back. Why shouldn't Tammy be allowed to give some of what she received? Wasn't that exactly what I was doing? And then he goes on. 
The good news is that God not only made us to be recipients of his grace, 15,000 people received a good meal that day from a, a single kid's lunch. We're not only recipients of his grace, but also participants in the movement of his own generosity. And that's the purpose of God for human life. Let me tell you something about life. And some of you have already had a suspicion of this. Some of you have already had a suspicion, even though I have nothing to complain about, it could be much worse, could be much better, but, but I'm okay, all things considered. But you've had a suspicion somewhere inside all along. It just seems like there ought to be a little more. It just seems like it ought to mean a little more. It just seems like it shouldn't be so hard for so many so often. And it sure seems like it shouldn't be so short and in so badly for so many. And you've wanted life to have more meaning. You've wanted life to be better. Better not just for yourself, better for everybody. And this picture of the way life was supposed to be lived in this little feeding, Jesus guarantees because he died and rose again that he will bring just that kind of life. And some of you, you've been looking for that missing something. You've been chasing all kind of things, trying to fill that gap in your heart, in your soul, and you are finding it offered to you today. Maybe if you would be willing to trust in Jesus and become his follower for the rest of your life instead of living with your main purpose in life being to stay alive a little longer and gratify your desires a little better because that, that's where we get to. If we don't take the purpose that God has for our life, the default purpose we start living for is self-preservation and self-gratification. Live as long as you can and get as much as you can. But that's not satisfying enough for human beings made in the image of God. So, why not consider this? Here's a couple closing thoughts. My little, my little becomes big when I devote it to Christ. Second thought. I am created to be Christ's co-worker and a participant in his generosity. Now, I said earlier, I talked more about what is in your lunch, what is in my lunch, what is your little thing? Because probably many of us feel like, well, you know, I don't know that I have anything of any value to offer to God. What about this? What about some learnings that you may have received in life, some unique learning? Maybe you've got a unique skill. Maybe you've got a unique talent. Maybe... You've had, maybe you've had an experience that, frankly, you've been trying your hardest to forget. You didn't even want the experience. It, it hurts you greatly. You might even be terribly ashamed of the experience. You may not even want to think about it or talk about it with anybody. But you've gone through an experience, and you're still alive. You've come out on the other side. What if that experience is the little thing? What if that's the lunch? Jesus wants you to share to somebody because it will unlock their soul. They're feeling so lonely that nobody else understands what it's like to be them because they've gone through the similar thing that you've gone through and they're just waiting for you to come along and share with them that you too have experienced this but Christ has brought you out on the other side. What is your little thing? What is your little lunch? And what great thing might God want to do in your life? Will you Will you take your little lunch and put it in the hands of Christ so that he can multiply it and do something really big, bigger than you could ever think, ask, or imagine? Let's pray.
We thank you, our God, that you brought us here to speak to us personally, to encourage us, to help us to know that you've wanted and intended from all eternity to partner with us, to bring us into the good that you're doing. Help us to believe this is true and to search out what little lunch each of us have been given. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.